We're going to get right into our message uh, this morning, just try to continue in our essential series and and get really into the place uh, of learning a little bit more and more about the essential things that we need to know for Scripture. I know, I know, I said we'd get through all of the essential Scripture in a few weeks, and we've only done Genesis and Exodus. It was not a trick. I'm not about to uh, hold you hostage for the next 66 weeks or 64 weeks as we go through every book of the Bible. But uh, we are going to go at a, a little bit quicker pace today because there are a lot of things that we can glean that are going to be right up to the end of the Old Testament today. So we're going to be going to the book of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 31. You can begin to turn there and just to kind of fill you in on a little bit of the background. We started this a, f- a couple weeks ago with a few essential ideas. Number one, God created perfection. Okay. Number two, we broke it. Well, that's just what we do. Number three, God uses broken people, all right? And that's the, that's the great part of the story for us is that God, even in the midst of our brokenness, he uses broken people. And then number four is just watching the way that God takes our broken situations and turns them into victories for his glory. We talked about last week how even the Israelites ended up as slaves. They ended up walking out of the land of their slavery like an army, as conquerors. Spent a little bit of time talking about Moses, and I love just reading about Moses, learning about him. Here's something really awesome that we can learn from the life of Moses. If you haven't fully hit your stride yet in honoring and living for the Lord, and you're not quite 80, you're still okay. All right, because Moses was 80 years old before he finally stepped into the role of leading God's people the way that God wanted him to do. From the, the age of 80 to 120, he, he was in that ministry role. But here's something that may or may not know about Moses. Moses, even though he led the Israelites to the promised land, he was not allowed to go into it himself. Everybody say, aw. Yeah, that stinks. That really stinks. Moses, unfortunately, he disobeyed the Lord, so he couldn't go into the promised land. But let's not feel too bad for Moses, okay? Because here's what he did get to experience. God tells him, I want you to climb a mountain and meet with me. Now, I don't know how many of you hikers there are out there, but let's keep in perspective. At this point, Moses was 120 years old, okay? And God says, climb this mountain. I want to meet with you. Moses gets to the top of the mountain, a testament to the strength that God had continued to give him even into his old age. And he gets to sit down and meet with God face to face, face to face. And then Moses dies, okay? And Deuteronomy tells us this. That God himself attended to Moses' body. Like, think of the incredible moment. And I, and I have to think, if I'm Moses sitting on a mountaintop, a moment with God face to face, I would not trade away just for a chance to walk into the promised land. Moses was blessed. But here's what happens right before that moment when he gets to, in, in, you know, his final meeting with God. God gives him some uh, some pretty bad news, honestly, about everything that he's just kind of worked for for his, in the last 40 years. And we read it in Deuteronomy 31, 16 to 18. God tells him, after you are gone, these people will begin to worship foreign gods, the gods of the land where they are going. They will abandon me and break my covenant that I made with them. Then my anger will blaze forth against them. I will abandon them, hiding my face from them, and they will be devoured." Terrible trouble will come, come down on them, and on that day they will say, these disasters have come down on us because God is no longer among us. At that time, I will hide my face from them on account of the evil they commit by worshiping other gods. 
So let's put this back in perspective. Moses, last 40 years of his life, has been leading the people. He's been going through the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows. There were probably no prophet appreciation months where they gathered around him and they were like, Moses, you're just so great. We want to give you cards and thank you and make weird faces about your face. None of that happened to him, all right? He leads the people for 40 years and at the very end, he sits down with God and God tells him, Moses, everything you've worked for for the last 40 years is about to fall apart. Imagine being told that, like everything, your life's work, right? Your life's work is just about to fall apart and this is the thing that he has to share with Moses. He's looking at the Israelites and realizing that your leadership, as he he appointed Moses to be the leader, he said your leadership led them to the place where they were supposed to be, but now that you're gone, they're going to drastically change and they're going to lose sight of who I am and who they are in the process. And so that immediately begins to happen. Uh, Joshua takes them into the promised land. They conquer almost everybody. And conquering almost everything is not enough. That's something for us to really hold on to as well. It's not about just almost doing what God wants us to do, but completely. But then this season comes in where we see the judges, okay? These judges are the people that God raises up to be leaders. Because as soon as Moses dies, they begin to go through what I call the sin cycle. All right? You've probably heard me reference this before if you've been here for any period of time. The sin cycle is this, okay? They're in a place of blessing. But then they forget about God and begin to worship other gods. All right? Then after that, they become oppressed. Then they cry out to God. God raises up somebody to save them. And then they return to God and get peace again. And then guess what happens? They forget about God. They start worshiping other gods. And it's just this cycle. And it plays out 20 plus times throughout the Israel, Israelites' history. Over and over and over again. This sin cycle that they go through. And I know there's a temptation for us. We look at them and we're like, what dummies? How could they make the same mistakes over and over and over again? Come on, let's be honest. Don't we do the same thing? How many times has God done something awesome? And in the moment, right? When God does something awesome in the moment, you want to jump up and down and clap and scream and shout how good God is. But if, so, if it was something that God did really good 20 years ago, isn't it more like, yeah, that was really cool what God did. We just lose sight of it. That's what happened to Israel. So these judges come, and I'll just read the names of them here because it makes me sound more smarter when I read biblical names. But here's the judges of Israel, of Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah. I know you're looking at that and you're like, no, that's Deborah. But the actual Hebrew pronunciation is Deborah. Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, Samson. I know you're thinking again. No, it's Samson. It wouldn't be in the original language. I'm sorry. It's just our English version. We have all these, these different judges over Israel. You may have noticed there were 12 of them, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 judges. There's just all this plays out over and over again. But here's what happens is that over time, with each passing generation, we see that Israel becomes just a little more wicked, a little more perverse, a little more broken. I love this. I think it was Pastor Jessica Bryan who said this several weeks ago when she was here with us. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And that became Israel's story. They just started to tolerate little things here and there and a little minor exceptions that led to major failures. And when we close at the end of the book of Judges, okay, we have this crazy story that, that was from the tribe of Benjamin that was disobeying God. So all the other Israelites get together and they go to war against the Benjamites and they destroy them. 
And so now they're like, well, we don't want Benjamin to totally be wiped out. They need to be restored somehow, but we don't have enough wives for them to get married. And we promised we wouldn't give our daughters to them in marriage. So here's what you should do. There's a yearly festival that takes place where everybody's dancing and singing and having fun. You should hide in the bushes and steal some of the virgins to be your wives. This is where the book ends right there. The level of depravity. And then the last thing that we read in Judges 21-25 is this, and it kind of encapsulates all of that into one verse. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Brokenness, 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 brokenness. They had forsaken the one king that they should have had allegiance to. And as every time they did that, they became more and more broken, more and more separate and apart from God. And again, why is this so important to us? These cycles that we watch play out historically, biblically, are the same things that we can ourselves fall into if we are not careful. We can just as easily as the Israelites fall into putting other things ahead of God. That's what worship is. If I put anything ahead of God, I create an idol. Okay, and it doesn't matter what it is. But we, we do these things, and then we ourselves start to lose sight of God. And, and again, I, and I love this idea that when we just start to tolerate things in one generation, the next generation will embrace that. It's not just going to be like, oh, well, that's good too. We, it's something we wrap our arms around. But Israel got to the place where they had no king. Well, they had forgotten who their actual king was supposed to be. They had forgotten that their king was actually God, the one who took care of them. It just continues to get worse. So this is the book of Judges ends. And then we begin to see that God raises up a new kind of leader, all right, a prophet judge. Okay, his name is Samuel. Everybody ever hear of Samuel before? All right, so Samuel is this new leader, right? And, and he does pretty well, and he has a lot of good things going on for him, and he leads Israel for quite a period of time. But then something happens to him that happens to all of us. He got old. And this is what happens. First Samuel 8, or chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, the Israelites come to Samuel, and they're like, hey, we got to have a talk. We need to talk. There's some things you need to know. Verses 5 through 8, this is what it says. Look, they told him, you are now old. Like, he didn't know that. Like, that's just disrespectful. Why would you start a conversation that way? Like, thank you. It's like when I talk to Harold. I'm like, Harold, you're now old. It's, I don't know. I just wanted to say it. Yeah. <laughs> says, you are now old, and, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you. The Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed after other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. This is the time period of the kings that begins to enter, and it comes on the heels of this. We, we have a couple of broken thoughts that take place in the Old Testament, and there are two of them that I think are really important. Number one is when we go all the way back to the garden and the fall of humanity is this, this statement that the enemy, that Satan, right, it makes to Adam and Eve and he goes, did God really say, did God really say, and it just totally transforms everything because it begins to call into question the things that God did say by just asking that one simple thought, is that really what God said? Then there's another idea here that we see mixed in that is, is a big part of this brokenness that takes place leading into the kings is we want to be just like everybody else. 
I want to be just like everybody else. Israel's like, listen, we're tired of being the weird nation that when people say, like, who's your king? And we're like, well, it's God. Well, where is he? He's in heaven. We're tired of being the weird outcasts that are different from everybody else. We want to be just like everyone else. Give us a king. Give us a leader. Give us a man who will run in front of us and lead us into battle. Lead us into victory. Lead the kingdom. And the same tension is something that we can easily fall into is this desire. Listen, how many of you know that God has called us to be in the world but not of the world? Like, what does that mean? It means, yeah, we live here. There's no changing your residency unless you have somehow contacted aliens. But you live here on earth. But God says of you, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God. So you don't walk and talk and act and think and reason and do what the rest of the world does. You are set apart. Israel was that set-apart nation. And you know what they said? We're sick of being so different. I don't want to be the weird one at work that everybody points at and excludes because they're the Christian. I don't want to be the one that people think is high. Or I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. And this is that temptation that just begins to come in. I just want to be like everybody else. I want to, be just like, I want to dress that way and talk that way and think that way and go these I want to do what everybody else is doing. And it was Israel's undoing. Because when to do so, they had to say, well, we don't want God as our king anymore. I don't want to be led by God anymore. I don't want the things of God anymore. I want the things that are earthly now. And it totally unraveled them. We have all these kings, and it starts off pretty well. The kingdom is all together, and we got King Saul. We were told about King Saul that he was head and shoulders above everybody else, so he was a really tall guy, all right? Started out well, didn't end well. All right, he became full of himself, and, and eventually his arrogance led him to being destroyed. God hands over his throne. His son Ishbosheth does try to take over the kingdom, but David, King David, the same guy who beat the giant, he takes over. Dave, I hope you're writing all this down. I mean, I'm telling you, the final is going to be huge on this message. Right, Ishbosheth is hard to, to say and spell, so practice that one. I'm taking points off for spelling. King David, right? Man after God's own heart, and he does, he's so perfect and wonderful. No, David does terrible things as well. Even this man after God's own heart is still filled with brokenness. Why? Because God created perfection, we broke it, but God still uses broken people. David's broken, his son Solomon even more broken. And then eventually the kingdom gets divided up. We divide it between the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. There are 43 kings in all that only seven of them, of the 43 over hundreds of years, obeyed God. Every generation got a little more wicked, a little more perverse, inviting the things of the world in, inviting brokenness in. We want to be just like everybody else. We want to practice the things that everybody else is doing. We want to embrace the things that other people are doing. And it just continued to destroy them time and time again. Just as God had told Moses was going to happen before they even went into what was called the promised land. Before they even went in there, God tells them, Moses, this is going to happen. They're going to forget about me. They're going to fall apart. They're going to forsake me. It's going to get really ugly and we look at this and then we get into the time of the the prophets and they begin to speak to the israelites and telling them about the things that are to come jeremiah 25 30 to 31 we see this says the lord will roar against his own land from his holy dwelling in heaven 
He will shout like those who tread grapes. He will shout against everyone on earth. His cry of judgment will reach the ends of the earth. For the Lord will bring his case against all the nations. He will judge all the people of the earth, slaughtering the wicked with a sword. I, the Lord, have spoken. You ever just have a moment where you've had enough and you can't take no more? Well, I have. This is where God's at. I mean, and you go through some of these prophets, and I, I love, I believe it's in the book of Amos, God gives this imagery. He's like, when Israel was a toddler, I walked with her and, and taught her to walk. And as soon as she learned to walk, she ran away from me. Like brokenhearted God speaking. My, my precious possession that I love so desperately doesn't want me. Like, identify with that feeling for a moment. I mean, have you ever felt unwanted or unloved? I mean, this is God's heart crying out here. My precious possession that I love more than anything in the world doesn't want me. They want something else. God's speaking to this, and and the destruction that comes is when we trade the things of God for the things of the world, we lose the things of God. And the kingdom that God had built, the nation that God had built, this blessed nation that God had set apart, ends up losing everything, being taken off into captivity, carried off into foreign lands. The temple burned, the city burned, the walls destroyed. I mean, they became a a shame-filled land of mockery that people would just point at and laugh. And we look at that and we're like, oh, that's so sad. I would never do that. I would Listen, the same thing can happen to us if we don't prepare our hearts and study to see what's happening when we forget God. Church, that's why this is so essential. It's so essential. We, we, we sometimes look at like the Old Testament, like, well, that's the Old Testament. Do we even talk about that anymore? I mean, it's old. Surely we don't talk about old things. I mean, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, we talk like they're two different gods. <laughs> they're one. They're one. Okay? It's not like God left after the Old Testament. He's like, I've had it, I'm out. Somebody else can take over. Like, it's the same God. And here's where we can see this because it's something that plays out time and time again. I want to finish with this on Isaiah 53. This is typically something we read at Christmas. I saw decorations at Walmart, so I feel like I can read this, okay? We read this because this is the prophecy that's given through Isaiah of God's plan for redemption. And and it's really important to understand just where this is happening in the timeline of Israel because at the exact same time that God is telling Israel, you have forsaken me, you have rejected me, you have abandoned me, you have run away from me with everything that you could to chase after other gods and act like I am meaningless and worthless. You've broken our covenant. You have destroyed our relationship. And I'm taking my hands off of you to let whatever's about to happen to you happen. He tells them that and then he says this, but... I have a plan. I'm going to fix it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Messiah. This is what we read in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. It says, It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. We're talking about Jesus on his way to the cross, who was treated like a criminal, right? This man deserves to die. He's a criminal. This is exactly, Isaiah is talking about this hundreds of years before Jesus. We thought his punishment was for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. 
He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet, let me translate that, even then, even still, after all of that, the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. Even after that, listen, I know God of Old Testament, He's the God of wrath. He's the God of anger. He's the God of revenge. He's the God of no mercy. God of the New Testament, He's all grace and mercy and la-di-da, I love everybody. Two different gods, right? We've been reading this for weeks, church, and it's always been there. You go right back to the fall, and as soon as Adam and Eve sin against God and the fall comes and punishment is being spoken out, he immediately speaks, I've got a plan for redemption. And then we go through the Old Testament, the kings, the brokenness, the brokenness, the brokenness, the brokenness. Then the prophets begin to speak, you're going to be punished, but God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. You know, we often get so hung up in the fact that We're too broken to be healed, too broken to be saved, too broken to be restored. But this is why studying the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is so crucial to us. Because it reminds us that God did not come to save perfect people. He came to perfect broken people. If I could get the worship team to to get into place... He came to perfect broken people. You know, this is so important for us because when we realize that God has a plan, it kind of starts to change things. Do you know what we typically tend to do? I don't know, maybe your house is a little bit different. People actually live in my house and it gets dirty. I mean, dirty. I got three teenagers who dirty my house like it's their job. And they clean it like it's their punishment. When we find out that somebody's coming to visit, what do we do? We clean that baby up. You come to my house and be like, oh my goodness, Pastor Chris has such a clean house. (laughs) Today. I saw a sign years ago that said, if you're coming to see us, come anytime. If you're coming to see the house, make an appointment. Let's not act like it doesn't happen, but do you know what happens to us as well? We come to the place of brokenness in our lives. We want to invite God in. But just like that house, we think, well, I got to get this puppy cleaned up before I invite Jesus I got to clean that room and clean out that closet and organize this over here and get rid of this thing and shine up that thing and change. Before I can ask Jesus to come into this house and into this mess, because he's not going to want anything to do with this, because look how broken it is. Look how imperfect it is. It's messy and gross, and I don't even want to live in it sometimes, and I can't invite Jesus into that. And we're just so sure that Jesus came for our perfection, but he didn't. He said since the beginning of time, it's your brokenness that I came to restore. Jesus said in Luke, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. That's who I'm here for. I'm not here for perfect people. In fact, he got pretty irritated with a group of people who pretended they were perfect. Not here for them either. I'm here because I love broken people. 
I'm here because even though I created perfection and you messed it up, I've been planning since then, since the dawn of time, to send my plan for redemption to restore it and make it better. And then let's put that into perspective. Then we read John 3.16 where Jesus says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son for us. In our perfection? No. In our brokenness. We are not what God deserved. Can we just say that flat out? We're not. God in his perfection, in his awesomeness, he deserved a people who were equally perfect to him to give to him what he had given to us. Guess what? We're not that people. We're broken. And Jesus looked at the midst of our brokenness. God looked at the midst of our brokenness and he said, I've got a plan. And you know what it tells us? That God is so desperate to restore relationship with us. You know, we got this picture of God like he's got his arms crossed and not till they get it right. Not till they get some things fixed, straightened up. I'm, I, I won't have anything to do with them. I, I, I'm done with them. I'm out. That is not the heart of God. Please, if you've ever thought or, or been told that there are things you've got to have right before Jesus is going to come into your life, please hear me. That's not scriptural at all because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the broken, the hurting, the dying, the weak, those who were at the end of their rope who said, I can't do it. I finally realized I can't do it. But Jesus could. And I just want to encourage you in that today. You know, believe me when I tell you there are things in my past that I find very difficult and have found very difficult to forgive myself for. But you know who does forgive me? Jesus. He does. And if I hold on to it, I steal it out of His hands. I take it out of His hands because He wants to forgive me. He wants to forgive you because he wants relationship with you. He doesn't want to point at you and laugh at you. He's not the I told you so God. He's not the I got you God. He is the God who desires relationship with his people. And this is what we see. This is the essential part of what we get through the entire Old Testament. God made perfection. We broke it. God worked using broken people to try to restore it. But it was never going to work until he sent perfection himself to come and save not a perfect people, but a very messed up and broken people. And that's who we are. Aren't you glad he still loves you? He still loves you. Not because you're good enough. You'll never be. He just decided that he loves you because you're his own. We you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, I just thank you so much that you came to seek and save broken people. If it was perfect people you were looking for, God, there's none of us anywhere on the face of the earth who could have been saved. But because you're so full of grace and so full of mercy, even in the midst of when you speak punishment, you speak redemption. In the midst of speaking 
the, the, the chastisement of what we have to go through. You're speaking your plan of restoration. That's just how good you are, God. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in this room, those watching online, to get out from under the condemnation of the weight of sin, to realize it was our sin that was placed on you. It was our beating that you took. It was our nails that you took. It was all of that, God. You stood in our place and paid the price for our sin. How dare we carry it like it's still our own. Help us, God. Just want to ask you as we're in prayer, nobody's looking around right now. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've got some things in my life or in my past that I just struggle to forgive myself of. I struggle to believe that God could forgive me. But I want to invite God into my mess, into my brokenness, and let Him have His way in me. If that's you, can I just ask you to slip up a hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Yeah, quite a few. Quite a few. You know why? Because we're not perfect. Because we do make mistakes. Because we do fall short. Because we need a Savior. Can I invite you to stand as we get ready to pray? I want to lead you in a prayer. And it might seem like the most counterintuitive idea in the world to invite God into my mess but you know that's the exact place where he wants to be that's the exact place where he wants to be not to leave it that way God's not coming over to leave you that way but he's not asking you to fix yourself either so I want to ask you to pray this with me whether you raised your hand or not that we would just be open and inviting to the presence of God to come in, not to our perfection. Let's, let's just be honest. If we think we're God, inviting God into a place of perfection, we have lost sight of self and God. We invite him into our brokenness. So you pray this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, even in my brokenness. For dying for me when I was still a mess. And I invite you in to my life in my heart, not because it's perfect, but because it needs you. Come in, Lord. I am yours. In Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would just begin to speak to every heart and life in here. Those watching us online, that reminder, God, that you did not die for a perfect people. You perfected a broken people. That we're all still sinners. We all still fall short. We all still mess it up. But all that proves is that every single one of us need you. And so God, we invite you into our mess. We invite you into our brokenness. We invite you into the dirty, broken areas of our lives. The things that we're ashamed of. The places that we hope nobody else would ever see or know about. The things that we hope no one ever speaks about. The things that we're ashamed to even think of. We invite you into those areas, God. And we say, be Lord and Savior over that, over my brokenness. Because if you can redeem that, God, you'll redeem me. And so, God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we point to the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, as our hope. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Church, aren't you glad you're not perfect? He loves you more than you'll ever know. Our prayer team would love to connect with you if you'd like to pray this morning. If you raised your hand and would like prayer, they'd love to connect with you. But Lord bless you. Go out and invite the Savior into your life.